I'll kick us off, and uh, then I'll kick it over to you, Kai, to introduce Jeff, and we'll start from there, all right? Whee! All right. So welcome, everybody, to another episode of uh, the Monitor Keeping Podcast. I believe this is episode 16 we're on already. Um, we're coming to you for another another interesting episode, one you guys have been uh, requesting for a while, so hopefully you enjoy it, but... Uh, over to my co-host here, Kai. How you doing? Hey, not too bad, man. Uh, I'm actually really, really busy, um, but uh, you know, we always try to find time for um, to get an episode or two in every week, just to make sure we're keeping up with uh, some of the topics and things like that that are going on um, this week. Just to get right into it, uh, which we've been actually trying to record this episode for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just getting our our program, everything like that, all good. But also at the same time, just wanted to really probably save up as many questions and conversations as I can just for this podcast alone. So you guys are in for a good treat. We're going to be talking about um, some Dwarf Monitor stuff. Uh, Aki's, of course, will be the first break-in on on things uh, with uh, with Jeff here. Um, I've got Jeff Easter with uh, G-I-S Herps. Um, and um, a lot of you guys may know him for quite a few things, uh, tegus. Uh, I think he's done uh, quite a few other species, the like Gilanai, and and, uh, um, mm-hmm. and you know just a lot mm-hmm. of other lizards like that. And so uh, well, we can we'll, we we'll be kind of talking about just a little bit of everything. But um, for the most part, we're going to be really getting into Aki's and some other some other quick topics as well. Um, and so Aki's has been. I would say probably the most asked for asked for podcasts or questions regarding Aki's and other dwarf monitors have been uh, been um, very frequent. And so um, we want to try to be able to get as many answers answered on this, uh, any questions answered on this podcast as much as possible. Um, and hopefully Jeff can be able to help us out with. Uh, how are you doing, Jeff? No pressure, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. All right. Well, uh, I'll do my best. I don't know how many answers I'll have for you, but uh, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a little bit of back and forth. I've seen some conversation with you too, so we can actually fill it up on the on the the time here. But um, yeah, some questions uh, I know you've had yourself about um, the grasshopper stuff and things like that. We'll be we'll be able to cover here as well. So. Oh yeah. But yeah, man, uh, how, how are things going at uh, at the facility now? I think you just recently moved there within the last several months, right, or something like that? Uh, no, no, actually, we're still struggling trying to get through. We, we have uh, we have property. It's a family property on uh, forty acres on the edge of uh, the national forest, uh, Talladega National Forest, and uh, it's gorgeous. It's out there. Uh, Mount Cheeha, Alabama. There's a national park right there. So just a few minutes away from the would-be farm. But uh, at present, we are still in Birmingham in uh, the hood. (laughs) My neighbors would probably, uh, well, yeah. They probably have a conniption if they knew what I had in here, but uh, it's all good. All those big poisonous lizards. <laughs> Just don't eat them. You'll be fine. 
Well, I mean, uh, now where you're at is you were telling us earlier it was it's really humid where you're at, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah. Think uh, essentially our weather here in Birmingham is uh, very much like Florida, except for the fact, especially there on the peninsula, you get a nice cross breeze. Yeah, we'll yeah. be having none of that here. And just sitting on top of you, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, we're in the Birmingham is seated uh, historically in a valley called Jones Valley. So mm -hmm. we're kind of in a bowl and you can actually get some haze going on in the in the bowl. You know, it sounds like a magical place. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Lizards like it when it's hot. Good, good, good. Oh, man, I, I don't do well with humidity. It takes me like two weeks to just adjust to somewhere new. And uh, yeah, then I, even then I'm just I complain so much. I turn into such a you prima donna. It's, it's so dry here that when humidity is given to me by Mother Nature, my my monitors love it. It's like, yeah, it's like, hey, we've been we've been expecting this. And yeah, you know, uh, it's been kind of drought here in uh in the valley um and uh i'd say uh, man we probably missed out on a good amount of rain this last winter so it probably rained for maybe a few days definitely not long but these last couple of days have been raining rained uh, for quite a bit i would say a good full day and oh man finally, finally getting some uh, moisture in there and then even the following day was just a bunch of clouds, so it kind of kept the humidity in. Um, and I actually enjoyed that for for the short time, the 40 hours or whatever. Um, but, yeah, Jeff, uh, now getting into, right into your, your Ackies, uh, how many do you have? And uh, what, what do you have going on with those guys right now? I got a couple. <laughs> And maybe, maybe how long you've been doing this for now? Uh, well, the uh, I've been playing with reptiles for twenty nine, almost thirty years, on and off. You know, not uh, not consecutively the entire time. I had life jump up and beat me around a bit, uh, a few little stints here and there. But, uh, yeah, collectively from start to finish, it's been uh, 29, 30 years now. And um, many, many different species involved along the way. And uh, right now we're pretty much all monitors, seeing mm -hmm. as how Alabama saw in their infinite wisdom with no economic impact to ban tegu lizards from the state entirely. Not to cause to cross the state line, et cetera, et cetera. No, no, no. Whole lots of no. Yeah. Uh, so we sold all the tegus and uh, we are officially all monitors now and have been all of this year as we're uh, legally compliant. You're in the, the right place, I guess. You're on the right podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, I've been trying, you know, it's funny. I've been trying to get rid of two tegus for the better part of like two years, maybe two and a half years now. Really? I can't. Yeah. I, 
they're just once they get to a certain size, they're not, if they're not going to be used for like some type of program or a breeding project, and if someone wasn't really like, hey, I really want a pet tegu, and the animal wasn't nice to begin with, like no one's going to want the tegu anymore. They kind of just become like another iguana, you know. To some um, degree, yeah. I've um, not had any problem selling. Well, I'll, I'll take that back. The only tegus I ever had any problem trying to sell was reds, oddly enough. Yeah. Um, but my reds weren't just reds. Uh, I mean, if I was going to have a red, this would be what I would have picked anyway. But when Laura hatched out those first annery, I was like, oh, oh. Got to have those, and she wouldn't give me a visual, so I got uh, two males and two females of the siblings that were all 66% possible het for annery, and uh, after several years of breeding them, or uh, raising them up, they finally uh, produced for me and proved out all four lizards to be 100% het for annery. <laughs> and then Alabama says, nope. <laughs> Yeet! You can't do it. <laughs> nope. It's a really nasty drawback. It's a really nasty drawback. Yeah. And I was just about to to cross them out to albino red. Oh man. No, 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 can't have that. No economic impact. Mm. Yeah. Never mind oh. that five digit deficit in my annual income. <laughs> But you stayed. You didn't leave. Yeah, well, we got this property here in Birmingham, and then we have the other family property in also Alabama. So, yeah. you know, unless you're going to liquidate both properties, and that gets into some really hairy... Yeah. yeah. So, Tegu's had to go. We still got some other lizards. Picked up a new project. Uh, something Alan's got. He's got the... Uh, the Flavies. Yeah. Or is it Flavy or? I just call them Flavies. Yeah. Call them Flavies. <laughs> sand monitors for the most part. That's easy enough for me. Oh, the sand hey, Yeah. Sand yeah. You don't get any. Uh... I don't know. I think it's, uh, is it pronounced Flavarufus or Flavarufus? I, I think it's pronounced Flavarufus. But I think it's. In my experience, these Australian guys, they switch it up on us all the time. So over in the uh, the other part of what I, you know, mess around with the, with the pythons, there's this whole, we've been calling them bread leaf or, or bread life for so long. And now they're bread leaf pythons. Yet when it comes to other species, such as King Horni, they're still King Horni, not King Horny. So this is kind of the, the, the joke that keeps going on around over there. Like, no, we got to stay consistent. If it's King Horny or if it's uh, Redley, then it has to be King Horny. So, uh, so it's you a, know, it's, it's a yeah. Brettles. It's Brettles, right? It's that's what I just started calling them. It's Brettles pythons. Yeah. I just skipped the whole Bradley Bread Lie <laughs> thing now, and it's like, well, it you know they they kind of got the uh, the lion's share of this since it's their continent. They get to they get to tell us how to uh, pronounce it. We just got to roll with it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of like, see, I didn't realize that there was such a disparity in pronunciation of all this stuff, you know. So I had uh, Cyclora lewisii, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I did not. I was like, the Westie? <laughs> I don't know. You know. What are, well, so yeah. no, it was named after a, a fellow named Lewis. Oh, okay. Well, that makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. But then I guess it's just, you know, is it a long eye or a short eye? See, that's where I think we get into all that. Um, who knows? I, I guess know. we need a standard. I don't know if we're going to do it on this show, but we need a, uh, a reptile standard. We need a reptile hobbyist slash uh, professor in ancient Latin to uh, the come on and sort this out. Anyways. The internet's just going to butcher it anyways. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, okay. Okay, we're getting off. You you had mentioned the, uh, the sand monitors you're working with. Yeah. So, um, of course, we're going to focus on the Ackies today, but what else do you got going on? Uh, we also have uh, white throat monitors. Yeah. And uh, I've been working with those for a few years, and uh, I haven't been real successful with them. But, uh, you know, the our female, she's kind of small. Mm-hmm. She's on the small side. She's like uh, three feet long, kind of cranky. And um, she supposedly came from a South African zoo uh, breeding project, but yeah, maybe so, maybe AKA no. AKA a farm? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, <laughs> I don't AKA, know. AKA whatever they said to get more money out of you. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, she's, that's supposed to be. But uh, yeah, I've gotten a few clutches out of her. And, uh, you know, that's, that's going okay. But um, let's see. So I got those, and I've got uh, the Gill and I. Gill and I are really, really nice. I really like those little guys. Yeah. They're uh, they're not quite as flashy as Aki's uh, as right. far as the colors and all that go, but uh, they got lots of personality. And yeah. if you're spatially challenged, don't have a lot of square footage in the house to to have a monitor lizard. You know, most people think of monitor, you know, it's a four foot, six foot, you know, Komodo dragon, 10 foot thing or something, you know. But if you're really interested in a monitor, you don't have to go ginormous to have mm-hmm. a monitor. And it still be a similar experience as what you'd have with a larger animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to actually get into those. In a little while, well, I say that probably sooner than later, but um, yeah, they are definitely ones that interest me just because they're their personalities. Yeah, yeah, Precious is uh, she's she's awesome. I reach in there and uh, just open the door, and she'll sit there and look at me like, "What? Mm-hmm. Go grab a uh, uh, bug and you know hand it to her and." She'll sit there and look at me, kind of make me work for it a little bit, and then she'll walk up and take it from me. And yeah, you know, it's a, a really cool thing to be able to do with your with your pets. And she actually will come out to me uh, sometimes, not all the time. But I don't, you know, I don't play with all the lizards all the time like that. We have quite a few, so it's kind of hard to yeah put in uh, serious one on one time like a you know, your average keeper that's got, you know, one, two, maybe four lizards, something like that. You know, here we keep anything from from 40 to surges of 140. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. A little bit less since we don't have tickets. Yeah. Which other um, which other dwarfs do you have before we get into the Aki some more? Um, well, I did have Kim's. Um, really, really like them as far as uh, form factor. I really, really like the Kim's a whole lot. Um, but uh, they can be they can be difficult. Yeah. yeah, they're a little bit more uh, more fragile and agile, and I would say, uh, well, I mean, on personal experience, so they're a big ass headache, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I go right along with that. Uh, the last set that I got was uh, well, I had a male and female, and and kept them for uh, about two years or so. Uh, and uh, never did get any fertile eggs out of them. And then apparently they must have tussled and essentially killed each other. Oh, well, yeah, M- mine, are, <laughs> mine aren't as nice as how most other people think about dwarf monitors. I get a, I get a lot of people say they leave all their pairs together. The male doesn't do anything. And my males are like right there every single time the females are getting ready to go and nest so always got to pull them out i i uh, i always hear people putting males together and they do fine after the little tussle um, my, my males are literally trying to rip each other's arms off yeah um, then my trios no longer worked after the very first round so you know I, my issue is i was trying to make the one nest bin work for the trio you know the male, he's fine. He's obsolete. He just, he's he's gonna be removed possibly anyways. But let's say leaving the girls around, then they start to fickle and stuff like that over the nest bin, mm-hmm. or or even let's say he's like tagging one right and he's mating with one, the other one is basically right behind her, or even within the same couple of weeks that they're breeding, you know, and so mm-hmm. lay times are if they're not spaced out enough on their own, um, then the females are laying on top of each other, basically. And that becomes more of an issue too. So I now have all my Kimberly separated until it's time to breed. And then when they're breeding, the girls have their own cages and then the males are swapped or moved around or taken out or whatever. Um, Hmm. That's, that's where my Kimberly's are. And now they're, it's just the uh, in and around nesting, man. They're so, so delicate. The everything has to be perfect. The male's got to be really moved out. I mean, I already knew this from my mangroves already that I should be practicing this. But I thought with the dwarf monitors, it'd be a little bit easier, right? Mm. Not, not, not really. I think it's just <laughs> individual individual animals, you know. Um, if it was easy, everybody'd do it, right? Yeah. You know, that's that's funny you say that. I. I with the um, Kimberly specifically, you know, they, they are on a lot of people's list. Oh, yeah. Um, but historically, the prices remain consistent on them. They're not cheap animals. Oh, no. um, and they're hard to find. When they do come around, they go quick. And, I mean, they've been around for 30 years or so now. Yeah. And, you, you know, you have to wonder why they're not at the same level as Ackies are or some of the other animals are out there. And it, 
there has to be something to that, you know. They're just uh, yeah, a little bit different. Even the best of us, or even the ones that you would think should, you know, land them without a problem, we're all failing somewhere or another, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, think, I think most of us have gone through the troubles of um, Kimberly's. You know, I mean, I don't want to discourage anybody listening to this and then not get them when they really want it. It's just. Don't, I, w- I wouldn't go into it with a uh, acting mindset at all. Going into it with a little bit more, even if even if you got one. That, I mean, they're all captive bred, but even if you got one that was well started, I just think they're they just demand a little bit more respect, even because they're so tiny too. Like you not you being complacent around their agility or their speed, man, they're gone. <laughs> they're yeah. Gone. yeah. I wish I'd have had a, a speed gun to clock my female, man. She was, she yeah. was, I'd go to open up the cage and I'd, I'd peek in. I could see where she was on the right-hand side and I'd go to lift the lid. And by the time I lifted the lid, <clears throat> there was a bunch <laughs> of dirt and smoke or, you know, dust and she's gone, you know? Yeah. It's, it's nuts. And so yeah, I thought about myself. I was like, man, these don't get me wrong. I, you know, I I, I kind of am ragging on the Kimberleys right now, but I, I'm doing okay. Uh, but I've I've had to do and fail quite a bit and pay my dues and and actually learn the species before any of the 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 sweet baby hatching and all that stuff like that. You know, oh, yeah. lost quite a bit of eggs and babies that were basically developed and then just died at the very last instance. So my learning curve. Has been a real tough one. Uh, I think both Jeff and 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 uh, and Alan have gotten, um, you know, basically uh, my late night messages or early morning messages about how the eggs or babies are doing, and and really it's like just uh, cross my fingers and hope for the best, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, that's the that's the that's the hardest part. And so I, I really wish to also do Aki's like fully and uh, if i were to ever stop doing like kimberly's or uh, it'd be it'd be a species like like uh like ackies or something like that and just do them prolifically you know mm-hmm. yeah i'm with you on that one <laughs> all right yeah. let's let's do it then let's uh since we're on that note on the ackies jeff tell us what is it what about ackies what got you into them Start from the beginning. We want the whole history. <laughs> well, let's see. Um, back, I think it was 2007, I want to say. Um, I believe it was. That's a time when dwarf monitors were still pretty hard to come by. Even, even Aki's. Yeah, I was in Utah, and I believe it was Joey Muggleston, uh, I think. Mm-hmm. Congrats to Joey, by the way. He just hatched out some peacock monitors. Yep. I saw, yep. man. I saw. That's awesome. So great basin serpentarium for those people listening. Check him out. He's got some awesome stuff going on. Yeah, he's a great He's a great guy. He's a real quiet, but he, he does a lot of awesome stuff yeah like across the whole board too all kinds of different stuff all good but go ahead jeff sorry 
But yeah, I picked up uh, I picked up a couple from uh, from him, or it could have been somebody else that got them from him. I'm not sure. Claim they got them? From, I don't remember. It's, I've slept since then. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, I got them. I really enjoyed them. I mean, they at the time I was also uh, breeding African softbird rats, and uh, if you ever had any mice or rats or anything like that, they they're fun to watch play. Mm-hmm. Um, and these Ackies, they, they played just as much and just as hard as the, the mice did, <laughs> but it was always, uh, you know, it was just a, a tussle sort of thing. It wasn't, you know, throat biting side ripping, give me your arm, see if I can pull it off sort of situation. Right. Uh, but they were fun. And, uh, I don't know for whatever reason I wound up selling them and uh, then I got uh, more into the Tegu thing. But uh, years later, after I moved back to Birmingham, um, I had an opportunity to either get some uh, some Ackies that were sold to me, uh, presented as red Ackies, not. <laughs> And I was okay with that because they were going to charge me yellow wacky price. Uh-huh. And uh, I was fairly certain of exactly what it was that I was getting. And it was confirmed after they they grew up a bit. But those were top enders. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. With a really, really nice wide white stripe down the back. And that stripe Ooh. gene is serious. Yeah, it's intense. I mean, I, I crossed, I, I bred three generations of those guys. And uh, whenever I would cross it out to uh, just a yellow, almost every baby would get their own stripe. Nice. And the actual top enders, even the girls get their own version of the stripe. But where I'm at with them right now is I've got, I've got a pair set up. Um, I sold one as a male several years ago because I was positive it was a male. I mean, still a little bit early into uh, really, really figuring out um, what sex Ackies are and how to tell and this and that. And there's still some that'll make me scratch my head. Absolutely. (laughs) But I sent this girl out. She had a... Typical male stripe going on. She was huge and everything else. Yeah, it's a boy here. Have it. So uh, yeah, send it off and uh, come to find out. Oh, it's a gr- it's a girl. So, but she doesn't like uh, normal little yellow boys. So the top enders, they're more red size. Mm-hmm. And uh, they try and put her with a, a smaller yellow boy, and she just beat him. Huh. Yeah. So uh, after a couple of years of hearing about all this, and I hadn't seen her since I shipped her out at a few months old, uh, I finally got an opportunity to get her back. So now I've got her with one of our boys, and uh, (laughs) I initially got her, and uh, I had a boy in mind, and I... I put the two of them in a tub in here in the kitchen floor just to, you know, put them in together and see how they do. Cause 
you know, we just met and I hear she's got bad attitude with boys and everything. So I had them in here and they seem to be okay, kind of checking each other out, whatever. And all of a sudden, mm, I got to pee. So I run to the other end of the house and I go pee. I come back and she is biting him across the top of his head, temple to temple, trying to oh, man. chew on his brain. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, she didn't break the skin or anything. And he just kind of had a look on his face like, huh? <laughs> So I separated him out and everything and uh, beefed him up a bit more. And uh, she was a little chunky, so I trimmed her down a little bit more. And now I put them back together. And as soon as I put them together in a proper enclosure, set up everything, he is all business. Nice. Yeah. He is all business, and she is taking her role like she's supposed to. Mm -hmm. So I named him Buster. <laughs> As in bust her. I saw that one coming. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll cross our fingers and see if we get anywhere with that. Good stuff. So Man, uh, go for it, guy. Uh, now, as uh, far as your... You have... How, how many types do you have right now? Uh, I don't have as many as I used to. Uh, at one time, I have had, you know, several different bloodlines in-house uh, that I was working on and trying to uh, trying to mix them up a little bit. You know, some of them I would breed uh, straight bloodline and then occasionally you know keep everything healthy you want to cross out that bloodline to something else and sometimes you get something interesting mm -hmm. right <clears throat> that's what a lot of us are doing with uh a few things it's uh for one i mean there there are animals we're just having fun with them too you know yeah um but um really uh to get to see what what the crosses make or what the hybrids or the the intergrades make it's mm -hmm. uh, so real interesting. Um, I personally have some myself, a couple of different types of Kimberly, Kimberly looks, and then uh, ob obviously a few different mangrove mixes together. And um, my results so far have been pretty decent, but um, I've seen I've seen some other stuff that like really washed out looking ackies that ended up really brown rather than any other color right they, they it didn't it wasn't more it wasn't really on the yellow side or the red side it was just ended up kind of mm -hmm. kind of dull yeah that's one thing that i i don't really do i have as of yet not on purpose crossed or even accidentally for that matter uh crossed reds and yellows I have not done that one yet uh, I have taken several different bloodlines of reds and done some mix and match or take my, my top ender yellows and mix them up with other yellows. I've done that, but I haven't done the, uh, the cross them up, uh, crossing streams as it were with the red and yellow. No. But, uh, I know there have been some folks that doing it. Um, some of them are a little bit more obvious than others. 
Now I've talked to you, Jeff, about some of the ones that I have and I've, you know, shared the pictures and everything. And, mm-hmm. um, of course bottom as reds, it's, it's kind of funny. It's like most of the, most of the animals you see out there, they're, they're always reds, whether they're, uh, you know, <laughs> no matter how they look or uh, questionable lineage or anything like that, they're always reds. So they're always mm-hmm. uh, priced as reds. So, but you know, I, I bought these animals as reds. The babies look good. They look like red babies, but, um, you know, they really have developed some interesting colors. So um, one, that that real prominent, you know, type of white stripe down the back. Um, yeah. Green uh, yellow right there. Right. But then those, those colors, you know, they're I'm not at, I'm not advocating for people to go out there and cross animals or anything. I bought these as such and uh, continued to to breed the, these clutch mates together. Um but man, these—you know—there's some interesting things that popped out. Um, continuing to breed these animals, so uh, you know. On that note, there are some other lines I work with that I know that are um, just reds. You know, I, I don't work with any yellow specific lines right now. Um, maybe in the future, but uh, it'd be yeah, a good project to pick up, man. There's not a whole lot of a whole lot of them out there to be had. I think I'll put some good words in. You know, I might know a guy whose name is Jeff might be on the podcast right now for uh, <laughs> <laughs> some stuff in the future. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a little interesting um, to see what's going on out there. So uh, it's uh, so much going on with uh, the Ackies alone, even if they are like your number one recommended beginner lizard or they're quite popular, right? There's mm-hmm. still, I mean, uh, the diversity level, I mean, it's it's kind of gotten a little bit better ever since we got a few imports from Europe not too long ago, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I think before that, uh, I didn't see that many see, see that many lines out there, or um, all the different types now that are essentially being sort of mixed together, creating. Um, I, I wouldn't say more red. There's just more variants of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's just uh, so, I mean, well, I know something I always found really interesting with this and looking uh, into it. And uh, I'm in a group on Facebook with uh, Frank Reitz as well, and uh, his group very, very, very small. Apparently, it's hard to get in. I don't know, um, there's like 50 people in it or something, but uh, yeah, he he was talking about how they're. He was in error. He's the one that brought the red yellow thing. Hmm. You know, he was thinking, oh, it's, it's more red. That one's red. And it's, this one looks more yellow. Well, that's a yellow. And, you know, just uh, in the early days trying to figure it out, I guess. Um, and honestly, that sounds kind of weird after I've said it out loud because they were there for uh, how many millennia before Frank Reitz was ever even born. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, but, uh, yeah, he said that he, he shouldn't have called them red and yellow. It should have gone more by, uh, locale. Yeah. Like if you have a, a Pil- Pilbara red Aki, for instance, right. Or, uh, Mount Isa, right. uh, range Aki is it that sort of thing. But what we've done in the America and in the pet trade 
at large, really. We simplified. More, well, we've we've mixed and matched everything so much. Yeah. You know, you might say, well, whoa, I've got a GIS Herbs red. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, people are going to expect it to look a certain way. Right. Because yeah. my name's attached to it. Right. But what are you getting? Do you know? I mean, yeah. I tried to dig in and find out every morsel of information that I could find about what I'm getting, when I'm getting it. But we're all su subject to the, the last guy's story. Right. Yeah. If somebody lied to him and he perpetuates that lie unknowingly, well, that's the information to get to go with. Sounds like madness, but this is the story, you know? Oh, it's, it's true not only with Ackies, but I mean, uh, all different types of reptiles. How about those single animals, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> another show, Jeff. Another show. Mm. We've been we've been getting better as a community to um to be more locale specific, more region specific. I I think to keep things flush and pure is like like what what's going on with the uh, the boas currently, right? Just the whole BCI yeah. or BCC thing. It 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 was a thing where the morphs did get a lot of attention, right? But now to find peers of Surinams or whatever, or Bolivian or whatever boa that is um, very hard to find in pure form is now the top dollar. You know, mm -hmm. you're you're paying much more now for pure Surinams that are, you know, it genuinely to the original look. You know, it's got it's got all the markings. But um, and so now with the monitor stuff, it's even getting that way with. I'm, I'm doing it myself too, but like the water monitors, a lot of them are mixed now. Even even imports, I saw um, Christopher bring in some that came from some Indonesian breeder over there that that made like Kamingai crosses and and mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Other, yeah other type of crosses. So America isn't just getting itself purely imports anymore. We're getting some some mutts now as well. And mm -hmm. so we're we're also making our own, trying to make something nicer in a sense, or it, you know, it's or it's what or whatever we haven't have at our at our at our feet at the time. Like myself, where I was just trying to learn mangrove monitors, and so I was mixing them. You know, mm -hmm. now I actually have some mutts that look incredible, and I'm looking to utilize them for my future projects to make peers if I if I could because. My current peers aren't working well. I, I have the only pair of peers in America of the Kylans, and so um, mm. if they don't hook up well. Then I have my backup that's a cross, and hopefully I can use <clears throat> use him as, as something to make down the line. But still, they'd be, I guess, um, you know, not. I, I don't even know the, the the terminology, but basically they'd. There was a regular Indicus from Indonesia that carried the Kai Island, right? And, and in a sense, they look like both a little bit, but I'm trying to breed that Indicus out and still keep the, the Kai Island going with all the peers that I do have. It's just so the, one, yeah, the one male that I have doesn't really hook up. He has hooked up once, and that's what I have the offspring of now and that I'm trying to use. 
but he hasn't hooked up with any of the peers at all. So, you so know, going for the look and the color, basically that represents going for the look and the color, right? It, the the whole thing. But I wanted to be just peers bred from peers, you know, right. not where I use the, I don't know, I I basically use this female as a, a just a carrier, right? Mm -hmm. that's the word to use or it's basically using her body as the shell to carry this genetic line and the babies are are now going to be essentially used for those future projects if i can actually get those to hook up as well right. so you know they'd be mutts still though if i just make 75 percent. so they're going to be mutts for a while until i can actually get through all the generations to make myself peers you know um and this is where it leads to our conversation now with how complicated the Ackies are, are. Or, I mean, it's not just Ackies. It's Kimberly's as well. It's the the black, the Tristis as well, whether it's the Orientalis or the normal one or the both. Oh, one. yeah. Um, it's uh, mm -hmm. White Throats as well. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. The locales. I had yeah. no idea that there was such a so many storm of locale stuff with the white throats until it white got throat. yeah and so there's you know the cape okay so as let's say if we're aiming for a look right for white throats it'd be the cape bandits that's probably highly highly wanted right or yes. for water monitors it's the kamingai or or some something like that and then if you muddle it up and you make mutts then down the line you're basically going to end up with more muddled looking animals and so, you know, looking at price range or looking at business down the line, sure, the, the mutts are kind of cool for the time being, but you really want to end up having peers just for the sake of it. You know, right. you're losing it down the line is hard. And then you get the confusion of what we're talking about now where none of us can tell you what our ackies are. Exactly our things are. And so that's the, the argument where we'll someone, see. you know, wants to have pure stuff but we're over here having fun making mutts you know mm -hmm. well that was the thing i was getting at with the uh instead of calling the ackies by locale we called them by breeder you know yeah like i've got uh i've got a boy i had uh, last year he had at least five different bloodlines involved in making him you know, you got your rare earth, you got your old school rare earth, right. totally different. But in that, but see, now that also kind of gets back into that. Well, these are rare earth. Okay. So what does that mean? Yeah. You don't know. Which, which kind, <laughs> you know, and um, it's like a thing too where, man, someone can buy you. Let's say you got three types, right? Mm. And let's, let's just say you had, you know, yellow ackies, um, and you had the top enders and you had the reds going right at, mm -hmm. at whatever given time. Someone's going to come come to somebody else and then probably also go to your page and be like, you know, this is a picture from his page. And it's another lineage that's also GIS. But what you sold them was uh, this type of lineage from GIS. And so you know, people really got to get it right. Like it's it, I don't know. It's like nerds selling four different types of water monitors right now. I mean, it, it's a nerd water monitor, but which one did you get? You know, right? <laughs> which one? <laughs> and even more so with the Ackies, the more confusion. Good grief! So 
apparently I can't find it. I did see it. I did read it. I cannot find it again now, but apparently uh, somebody went and dug into the uh, scale count, I guess, or whatever between different Aki's uh, reds and yellows and discerned that they are all Aki's. Right. That they're one species now. Yes. Yeah, so it's oh. all Varanus acanthus acanthus now. Or I guess you can drop the second acanthus because, you know, who cares? It's right. It's no longer Varanus acanthus uh, brachiurus or whatever uh, for the yellows. So they're all the same. Now, as far as that goes officially, but, I mean, you and I can still look at an Aki and tell you, what went into it there's right. different you know, types yeah there's is it straight of... up yellow is it partially red mm, i'm not sure it looks this color you know right yeah. but there's some some traits that are just going to be absolutely screaming one way or the other like the you know the big white white stripe down the back mm -hmm. i mean that's specifically it's, a yellow thing it's it's hard to judge monitors anymore out of the egg i mean uh, like you can have great looking parents right but sometimes you, you mix two things or you got one that was slightly different and you don't really know until that thing's like a year or two old um mm -hmm. i i have like like the kimberleys when they came out of the egg they're different and then now a week later they're different and then a, a week after that or six months after that when the colors expanded, I mean, man, they looked like totally different things. And, um, you know, uh, price or figuring out what's what is you don't really know until way later, like yeah. way down the line. Yeah. Basically, you know, good rule of thumb would be to hold back that first clutch as many of them as you possibly can and raise them up and see what they're going to look like. And then you'll have a better idea. And not only that, but you'll also have mom and dad pictures and older sibling pictures this is what yours is going to look like when it gets bigger yeah mm -hmm. or all five of these lizards believe it or not all came from these two parents and all five of them look completely altogether different you're getting the grab bag <laughs> you know oh yeah absolutely yeah. and i see the variation just in the clutch right out of the eggs too on some of these things it's just like, oh yeah yeah, you got super big spots already. You're gonna have some nice big ocelli, and this yeah, one's yeah. smaller ones. This one's got real dark colors. This one's got real light colors, you know, and uh, variations of those colors throughout. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you see it right out of the egg. Um, yeah, it is. It's an interesting thing we find ourselves in. And then, you know, Jeff, we mentioned the 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 stripe that you'll see a lot of times indicative of yellows. But uh, what some people might not no, yet if if you don't have like a lot of these different lines in front of you, there's also different looks to animals too. Whereas some ackies can look real long and slender, and some get like little tanks, like little beefcakes, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> bulldogs walking around. And um, there might also be a difference in what you would consider a normal clutch from some of these animals too, where some might consistently in that line kind of or that look and line give you maybe a an average of six eggs a clutch where mm -hmm. um where other and they might be big eggs um where another animal will give you 15 uh smaller eggs mm -hmm. um 
so you know you you start seeing all these differences um that go with some of these looks and lines and everything uh it's, it's kind of interesting you know how much variation there there can be when everything's still considered an Aki. right and and typically your uh clutch size difference and egg size difference as well is also going to be associated with well what flavor is it you know mm -hmm. your reds that's going to be the ones that gives you the bigger eggs and the smaller clutch typically not always you're right. going to hang some outliers out there i've got a fellow that uh i got some uh some hendrick reds and again, you know, they, they, they were reds, but exactly what went into it when uh, Hendrick got hold of those and made them and exported them to America and everything. They look good. Uh, matter of fact, they look really good. Matter, they looked uh, just like the original founder red animals. I was talking with Frank one day and he sent me a picture of his founder female. And she looked exactly precisely like these females that I hatched out. So Very I sent, nice. one, sent one to my buddy and uh, or three, actually. And uh, he got them to produce. And two of them laid enormous clutches. I think he got 24 out of one female. Wow. Wow. That's insanely huge. Yeah. Big red girl. Big old red yeah. girl. She's like 20, 21 inches, 22 inches, something like that. Big old red girl. Yeah. I never got no clutch. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but it could happen. Apparently. Yeah. What, what is, you know, what is the biggest clutch to date that you've got? Me? Yeah. Aki's. Nah. Uh, 15, 17, something like that. Okay. I was going to guess 18. <laughs> 17. I like I think, the smaller clutches. Yeah, uh, I, I think uh, I have a female that, that pretty much gives me like an average of six eggs on her clutch, right? And um, uh, yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with those mouths needing to yeah. be fed at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the guys that do uh, white throats and black throats or high yielding eggs, like 30 count. Mm. No. <laughs> yeah. You know, something else I've noticed is that um, my, my female, that'll usually be somewhere between, I would say nine and 14 eggs, 14, my highest, but she's hit that number a couple of times is that um, she will breed like twice a year, which is fine. But the, the animal that um, usually is about six eggs in a clutch, it seems like she's on this 45 to 60-day turnover, uh, you know, where she's just going, 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 going. And it's almost like she, she turns off with the season um, if I start letting that affect the room more and cooling down a little bit more, then she shuts down. Otherwise, it, it gets a little scary, to be honest. I, <laughs> I don't want to, you know... Not that she's shown any signs of um, um, malnutrition or anything, but it's still, I'm looking at this thing like, how, how how do you do that? How do you keep spitting these eggs out, you know, every 45 to 60 days? Um, 
They'll so do it, man. You just have to support them. Um, you just have to support them. That's all you can do. There's, yeah. you know, unless you change something in their environment, they're going to do what they're going to do. You keep throwing it, throwing food at them. And if they're happy, they're going to make more. Yeah, this is yeah. true. <laughs> I mean, I've got a, I've got a, uh, enclosure set up in here in the kitchen. And this, that's the one that I had my original top enders in. And, uh, I had those guys together, raised them up, uh, did turn out to be a pair. Um, but she wound up having seven clutches within from her first clutch. Twelve months later, she had seven clutches within that twelve months. Oof. Yeah, yeah, that's insane, man. Uh, I think I have a female Kimberly right now on six or seven, and we're at, we're now into now into the year. Yeah, right around January. Right, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, now into this month, she just laid another clutch. It's like every 15, 18 days, something like that. They were just, they're machines if if you support them, you know. And uh, yeah, it's not just it's not just feeding. It's uh the nest, the nest. It's uh yeah, it basically is your key thing. If you can keep that the way they like it. Man, I, I never realized how moist and sand. I use more sand and moist with my Kimberly's than I do with uh, my Indicus. You know, it's just uh, it's just something I realized that they like better. And uh, when it's moist, it holds the tunnel right, just good enough for them. Mm -hmm. um, well, you know, with the Kim specifically, uh, I was checking out. I got to thinking about things. You know, I, my first. Kims, they came from uh, Canadian Cold Blood, uh, Brandon, up there. And uh, so they were imported, and this guy, I got to thinking about it. Well, wait a minute. Hold on, hold on. So he, he's breeding what? I mean, you name it, and he's got all this coal stuff, and they're mostly in the dwarf monitor realm, tree monitor yeah. small area. Yeah. And... Uh, I was like, well, okay, so obviously he is successful enough to uh, to be able to not just have plenty to offer and built a name, but he's exporting them to another country on the mm -hmm. regular. So yeah. he's got to be doing something right. Let's go check him out and see what he's doing. So I found this video, and uh, it's uh, a Kimberly rock monitor digging a nest, or maybe he was about to go dig in after it after she had been in there long story short he used a clear plastic tub uh you know something like you'd put bugs or something in uh he used a clear plastic tub and it was full of 100 percent play sand yeah <laughs> and that's just it. water that's it play sand and more water than you think so if it's like I always use the consistency um, comparison to like the sand at the beach, right? And so, mm -hmm. you know, if you're able to clump it and hold a ball and all that stuff like that, then it works works pretty good. But if it doesn't, and even if it slightly holds a ball, it's not enough. I, I don't know. It's I've had to add more water and mix it up a little bit 
for her to for her to really enjoy and dig it. I, I seen her like the other day where she was digging it and realizing that I, I can I think the entrance kept on collapsing a little bit. And so mm-hmm. I would add more water and then I uh just stirred it up a little bit more and then she just laid it right after that. Mm-hmm. So oh man, it's uh well see now for my gill and I I use uh a nesting box of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got the uh, hollow stump set up for them. Since they're a, a smaller lizard, you know, max out around 16, 17 inches for the boys. Um, I figured I'd use this uh, artificial tree stump. It's hollow, look great. Can't find them now. Mad about it. Um, but I found them at uh, the name brand was Surreal. And it was from Tractor Supply Company. The finish on it's a little bit shiny. That's the only complaint I had about it, except for they they formed roots in their mold. And she would dig down to the very bottom and the notch of the roots, and she would tuck her eggs up in there. So it was kind of a pain to collect them. Yeah, but I love that look. I love when you shared it, um, where you shared it. I thought that was an awesome idea. I actually went looking for them, and around me, they were all sold out. <laughs> I didn't want to pay shipping for a bunch of them. You can just make your own now with a little bit of foam and wood and, and zoopoxy. Yeah. I need to. Yeah, I haven't tried that one uh, myself yet, but I, I was building the – working on the next – of Gill and I enclosure and I was looking for the same thing and I couldn't find it. And the best thing that I could find was this, uh, Martha Stewart thing is like, I don't know, 60 bucks for it. And then you got to pay for it to get shipped and mm-hmm. packs or whatever. Well, I, I looked at the pictures and it looked okay. I mean, it was a little bit on the light side, but I was thinking, well, you know, that'd be nice contrast against the Gil and I and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, I get the thing and it looks like it's literally whitewashed. <laughs> I mean, white, whitewashed, like Tom Sawyer got hold of that sucker and did her on up. It's great. It so wasn't going to do something with that. Wasn't it supposed to? Is it's a fake stump? Is it for like a key hide or or something like that? Oh, I was going to use it for nesting. No, 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 no. But what it was originally intended for? Oh, it's a flower pot. Oh, a flower pot looks realistic and just all white, right? And <laughs> just yeah. lay it out in the garden. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Either way, I think it's still a, a great look to a great idea, except for that problem you mentioned where the, if the female is going to put her eggs, and in my experience, every nest box I have, the female puts her eggs all the way down in the corner somewhere. It's one of the corners, so just yeah, um, keep digging all the way to the bottom and dig up a corner, and you only got four choices, so <laughs> you'll find it eventually. Even in the very, very, very edge where you think that the eggs wouldn't be, they're mm-hmm. all lined up there, and that's like where you're digging, and your salt, your finger can't get to there. And, you know, mm-hmm. if you put too much pressure, you'll smash them. So exactly. You gotta dig, you gotta dig yeah. Just softly enough, and then yeah, it's like enough pressure, but not enough pressure. You'll drop them or something like that. So. You know what I use now? I I have a uh, dustpan. It's it's just wide enough to fit like inside of the nest box, and I got a little hand broom, and I'm just using that to sweep. I'm like a little archaeologist in the uh, 
<laughs> into the uh, the dustpan and then put that into another bucket because too many times I've dug too fast and uh, rolled an egg or something off the top. Now, fortunately, when you get to them quick enough, it really doesn't matter too much. But, uh, yeah. you know, it's still that that oh no moment when you do <laughs> or you're rolling an egg comes flipping out. You know? <laughs> Boy, yeah, been there, done that. <laughs> Go uh, digging, digging, digging. Well, there's no eggs in here. Pop. Oops. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah uh, I did that to a Tristis egg, uh, I think, two clutches ago. It's also, it's always like, oh, man, I've been waiting to dig these out. You might be in a rush. Man, mm -hmm. you got to take a breath in between digs. I, I don't even thrash around soil anymore. Every handful comes out. So right. every handful goes into another bin. So that way you're careful because you'll, you'll turn soil. And the thing is that you want space to turn it evenly. So if you have more soil that you already dug up in the corner, then you actually can't really theoretically have it all evened out. So I take out every handful. It goes into another bin. Every handful comes out. So that way it's uh, if I know that corner is empty, I've already dug there. Nothing's there anymore. You know, and I can just push soil that I did dig or that I haven't dug yet and shove it into that corner. And then that way it's like you're digging through it evenly or else you're just digging a foot down and then you have to push it to the side, dig it again. Yeah. It's a, it's a, big, it's a, it's a big headache. I remember I used to dig eggs that way. I realized, mm -hmm. all right, there's gotta be a better way to do this. Yeah. That's another thing. A lot of people don't realize how important it is. I mean, if you're going in getting Ackies or any of these uh, dwarf monitors, you go and make an enclosure um, for them. Now they're smaller critters, so you can have a smaller box, and uh, you know you'll want to have a good substrate dam. So that may wind up meaning that if you're using a smaller enclosure, that your viewing window is going to be smaller. Mm -hmm. But uh, what you need to make sure of is, well, how big are you? And can you get in after those eggs without causing yourself pain? Yeah. Back pain. And having to having to lean over at an angle, but also lift lift up two, three hundred pounds of soil. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's I, I purposely add in the cocoa core into the sand just to lighten up the uh, nest box when I gotta pull it out. Just because I'm, I'm getting older, man. I could feel my back start to cry a little bit sometimes as I'm trying to get that nest box out of there. And uh, it, it never helps either when, you know, you have to make that decision to pick up the whole thing. <laughs> sure enough, it's like, okay, I got to do this in one movement. And then here comes the curious monitor running right into the spot that is going to be the most oh. dangerous for that animal to get squished, <laughs> you know? <laughs> mm -hmm, and sit there and look at you like, what's up, man? Yeah. food? Or test yeah. your finger. For, uh, I'm always like, get the hell out of the way, man. <laughs> yeah, um, I figured that went out pretty quick. Uh, it, I just, it's better to just take everybody that lives in there and put them somewhere else. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's yes. Get a bin, shove them in a bin, throw them yeah. in a cage, an empty cage. Stick them in a bag. Fill up the. You know, draw them a little bath water. Throw them in the tub. Whatever, man. I mean, out of the yep. way. That way you don't get bit, 
they don't see a you're digging through and an egg rolls down and oh, white egg wow and they go tag oh, it man. And, you know yeah. it's in their mouth not in your incubator and uh-huh and, you know luckily, skip all that noise separate them from the situation yes luckily i can like kind of cue in when and remove the mail because it's always been a habit of mine to now remove the boys even though i don't want to right i have to and so, yeah yeah, yeah like, uh, especially after you get people paying attention to what you're doing. Oh, oh, I want one of those. I want one of those. Arr! Like, <laughs> like, like Lauren. <laughs> right, oh, um, man. Yes. I want two of those. I want to also. <laughs> uh, she's like one of my uh, real treasured animals, right? I mean, I love them all, but like she's she's the meanest one that I have. Like we really. Yeah, she bites, and then she'll you'll you'll put your hand, um, just anywhere in the vicinity of the mouth, and yeah, it's it's a you know that's a, you, Kai. That's that's in response to how you've treated her, being the only blue one in there, you know, and you you yeah. you've made her this little princess now, and so uh, she acts that way. You should have started her off right, you know, barely giving yeah. her this or that. <laughs> you just taste good, Ty. She actually is. Uh, she gets a uh, no. She gets the least love too. Because oh, she's man. so great. Like, I, I mean, I, I take pictures of her, right? But, man, I don't work with her too much because she's more so just unpredictable. She can yeah. be chilling there, but, man, it's just the biting. It's it's, it's the random biting. Because <clears throat> it's all of a sudden. That's the thing with mangroves. Or I think any any real cunning, you know, mean female, she's going to play play nice for, like, the, the instance and then, you let your guard down, and bam, she bites you somewhere. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah she's I only ever had one mangrove. Um, it was one of the first. Huh? Actually, I'd forgotten all about that. I had. Uh... <laughs> well, I mean, you know, back nineteen ninety-two, I slept since then. Yeah, but, yeah, but I had the uh, the first. And only mangrove that I've had, that was a gorgeous, gorgeous animal. I wound up, a uh, buddy of mine uh, ran a tattoo shop, and uh, we'd been talking about going to Reptile Symposium in Tennessee. And uh, he's like, yeah, cool, cool. Hey, man, how about you take this snake and uh, trade it for something mean and nasty that looks cool? I'm like, huh? Okay. So we took a 12-foot Burmese python up there, and uh, yeah, the way he picked was weird because he had two different ones, and he was going to pick one, and the one that uh, he sent with us is the one that came to him, and I'm glad that it was that one because she was sweeter. The other one was mean and would tag you in like, you know, 16 stitches later. Uh, yeah. But anyway, we took, we took this... Uh, Burmese to the reptile symposium in Tennessee and finally found somebody that was willing to trade. And we got a four foot Nile monitor that actually wasn't too terrible. Nice. Um, and a mangrove monitor that was absolutely gorgeous. And I've never seen another one quite like her since. But she was so smart. She was uh, black, black in her head. It's like the skin on her head was pulled so tight, uh, it looked like she was 
I mean, there wasn't anything wrong with her. It hmm. just kind of a visual sort of thing, but it, she was a uh, eggplant purple on her head. Oh man. She was so black. And then her, her spots were pretty sparse and very, very gold colored. I hadn't hmm. seen them like her since, but she was smart. Yeah. Yeah. People tell me if mangroves or actually a lot of monitor back in the days. We, we don't, we don't see them here nowadays. We have a, a total, totally different type of, of uh, localities and islands being collected from now, you know, different things. Um, you don't see what you used to get back in the days so much anymore. Yeah. I think, uh, People tell me that they used to see really, really gorgeous. Even myself, seeing some pictures from circa '90s and circa early 2000s. Yeah, the, we don't get those anymore. Islands have been closed off, protected, right. or things like that. Basically, um, either or cut down. Out. Trees have been yeah. cut down. Yeah. So there's no more. Yeah, so that's that's another thing we get. We get some animals from after the fact. Right. So we're going to have to rename this the Aki-ish episode. That's all right, man. We got uh, it's all monitor stuff related. Right. I hope you guys are, are applying what we're talking about to Aki's anyways. because Very much a lot of it is just uh, monitor related uh, in general, and it, it works. But to get back on the topic, Jeff, tell us, um, how do you set up your, your animals? Specifically Aki's, how do you set them up? Uh, well, with the, uh, I know a like lot of people different. when they when they first get their their pet, they want to, you know, a lot of them want to go all out naturalistic and just make it this amazing zoo finish thing that they put their baby into immediately after they get it, which <laughs> you know, it's, you can do that. Sounds um, nice. I mean, is it advisable? I mean, right. well, look at it this way: if it's if you want this thing to be your your little shoulder dragon buddy, you can go in there and put your hand in the enclosure, have it climb up your arm, go up to your shoulder, and hang out with you. Having fourteen hundred hiding places is probably not the best idea. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to set them up a, a bit more Spartan. Um, you know, more more sparse. Uh, you got a good basking area. Um, maybe a reed stack or a river rock directly underneath the basking light, and a couple of little hiding spots. Several right. inches of uh, sandy substrate. Uh, I go these days. I go about. 70% sand, 30% organic top soil. Um, a lot of people will just go get potting soil and, you know, it's wrong. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 Guys, uh, for the, for the listeners out there, look into your soil. Okay. Uh, there, there's a lot of information already out there. Um, there's a lot of good choices, but at the same time, there's bad choices too. Uh, potting soil has a lot of different additives in it that plants need, but could be harmful to your animals. 
So look at what's what. Um, there's good information for what organic, uh, as Jeff was saying, topsoils you can use that don't have any of these extra additives. Uh, you know, you're, you're not trying to grow a 10-foot tomato plant in uh, two months. You're, yeah. you're keeping the animals in there. As a rule of thumb for me, uh, pretty much any, any kind of sand that says play sand, that's pretty okay. Uh, but the, the topsoil, that's, that's the harder find. Um, now there's one that I used for years and I can't seem to find it now. And I talked to other people, other places and they're like, Oh yeah, they sell it at Lowe's. And I hadn't seen it, but, uh, it was earth grow topsoil. Mm. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not like this great soil or anything. I mean, yeah, it's fantastic if you're looking to fill that that hole in your front yard that you almost broke your ankle in while you were pushing the lawnmower last time. Yeah, it's for that. It's got little stones and sticks and stuff. You might even find a little piece of plastic or something in there. But <laughs> the point is, it's a it's a sandy dirt mm -hmm. with other natural stuff in it, which is fine. But a lot of these in in the cheaper stuff that that seems to be a big factor too. Yeah. If you go and find a bag of dirt and they want seven bucks for it, that ain't the one. Yeah, right. yeah. You or, know, or anything more bio dude or something like that. But you know, like uh, for myself, uh, another another avenue to really go to for the for the guys that are looking to set up and. Let's say you do want to do a, a fair amount of soil later on, or you're just learning how to use nesting and you got to actually apply that to your setup when they're bigger. Um, you know, buying, even buying the bags from Home Depot or Lowe's, that can, that can add up, you know, especially when mm -hmm. you're doing footage and you're doing depth. I mean, it's like uh, four or five bags of each of that. For even a four by four, <laughs> that's not enough. Mm -hmm. and so, um, you know, uh, I, I use um, rockery places and uh, places that are like lumber yards. They basically have um, cement sections where they have heaps and piles of this that you buy by the square foot. So yeah. if you're in the areas of those, I mean, you know, lumber yards are pretty far and few in between. It's uh, it's really just where a lot of people buy your your gardening stuff or your whole everything for your whole yard. You're buying it there rather than buying. Uh, 50 individual bags to do your whole yard, you know, and so mm -hmm. it's a little bit cheaper, probably maybe only a couple of dollars cheaper, but still it counts. And especially if you, you're doing it by the square foot, you can basically get a little pickup truck, fill that pickup truck for a certain amount and then head off, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's a, another cheap route. I myself have had the same problem, Jeff, where finding bedding in a consistent, um, I don't know, in a consistent supplier or a consistent brand has been a little hard. So uh, my, my, my soil base kind of always changes whenever I, it really just depends on what I can find. The sand is always easy to find, right? Play yeah. sand or whatever. It's easy to find, but the soil, I mean, I can go as simple as using eco earth and then I just, it's the fine consistency already. So I'll use that, mix it with sand, maybe add some more sand. 
add leaf litter too, so it, it gives it more of a natural cut, right? And mm. then, uh, but now I use this Eco Earth specifically. Eco Earth specifically, I will not use period at all with any little bug eaters. Period for nothing. Why? Yeah, that was my question. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's okay to use uh, if you sift it. Uh, so here's my beef. The stuff, when you look at it real close, a lot of it, most of it, actually, it has uh, little hair-like strands in it. Yeah. You ever notice the that? The fibers, yeah. Yeah. So you got some little uh, hair-like strands. I mean, not like hair like your hair, but hair like a, a horse hair brush lost a bristle. That kind of strand yeah, the, in there. The coconut. That's the coconut hair, all right? Yes. So when you... Uh, when you have a little bug eater in there, and I watched this happen myself to some of my, my first uh, red ackies that I got after I moved back here to Birmingham, uh, I picked up three of them, and they were absolutely glorious and little awesome cricket assassins. And uh, in being that there was three of them, you know, they do their little uh, pecking order thing, and they're always... You know, they want to grab their food and run away from everybody else so I can choke it down real quick so I can maybe be able to get another one before somebody steals this one out of my mouth. Yeah. Well, I uh, was looking at the, these guys running around in there and admiring them. And then, then I looked down at the substrate and I noticed, oh, there's some, some of those uh, fine hair-like strands in there. That, that could possibly be a problem because they're uh, very much like the antenna on their prey, um, just a little bit, little bit thicker, ever so slightly a little bit thicker than your cricket antennas. So a lot of times when they get that in their mouth, they'll be able to discern between bug and trash and spit out the trash with their tongue. Mm -hmm. In this particular instance, he was worried about brother coming over and stealing bug out of his mouth. So, he choked it all down. Oof. He had a piece of uh, coconut core and a cricket, choked it all down. He went from junior bug assassin to dead in two days. Oh, man. Yeah, That's not digestible. Just so me personally, I would suggest if you are insistent on using Eco Earth coconut core of any type plantation soil whatever they want to call it if you're going to use that crap sift it really really good first good to know you know i haven't had that experience i use a lot of it i just haven't had that experience but um to know that happened you know it well then again i can't say that i really use it too much in the baby enclosures at all it's mainly in the nest box mixed with other things um, yeah, so and there I'd probably be fine, but uh, I just, sorry, I kind of bored it out and all that, but uh, yeah, I've got a big, big beef with that because. No, I, I understand where even an adult might be able to pass some debris just because of its overall size when it gets mm -hmm. big. Um, you know, having some, because I'm very familiar with those, those fibrous hairs in there, having a little guy choke one of those down, I can understand how it could, uh, Probably cause some complications. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, that hair is probably as long as that that animal's stomach is, so or longer. Um, yeah, it, it balled up in his belly, and his belly turned black. And, I mean, what the hell are you going to do with the things like, I don't know, five yeah. inches, six inches long? What are you going to do with that? Surgery? Right, right. <laughs> Get in there. Get in there yeah. with some tweezers. <laughs> Pop them open. Oh, yeah. man. Surgery on a six-inch animal that's going to cost uh, four times what you just spent on a thing, that, and he probably won't live anyway, you know. Right. Well, good to know, though, and for all the listeners out there, too, because it's something I've, I've you know, never had an issue with, but uh, definitely take some caution with in, in the application for using it. Um, and honestly, that seems to be the, the general consensus from other people when I, I lay out my beef like that and uh, – mm -hmm. That seems to be what everybody else says, too, but I was in the room. I watched it. I know that's what happened to it, and then he died in my hand. I couldn't do a damn thing about it, so yeah. here's my experience. Take it for what you will. It cost me $500 in heartache. Yeah. Oh, that's the worst feeling. You know, not, not in that same situation, but to have that animal or an animal die on you and there's nothing you can do, that is just horrible. And it, I, I can understand it causes some, you know, uh, hesitancy with whatever you're using, whatever the, the circumstances around it were, you know. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd shy away from some stuff for sure. So, yeah, I, I myself, uh, I, I use uh, that Sunshine Sphagnum Moss. I'm mm -hmm. not sure if uh, you guys have heard about it. It's a big black bag. Um, it's only like four dollars or six bucks at uh, home depot or lowe's and it hmm. comes in a pretty good size uh pretty good size block um but uh, yeah i use that mixed with the play sand a lot um you know there's there's quite a few other things that you can utilize uh i really wanted to use reptisoil but i just didn't feel like paying 25 bucks a bag <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah it's just for what i need it for if it was a small cage or I just needed little cages, fine. But not when you got to do like 17 of those, 20 of those. Right. Something, you know, you know mm -hmm. it's funny. Side note, not to, to totally sidetrack us, but um, because of the space out here that I, that I do have to do something like this, um, I've thought about almost making a monitor specific like compost pit of uh, mm -hmm. soil. So just turn in something with, sand in it i live pretty close to a river so turning um you know some of that dirt in there with uh leaf litter and some other natural organic you know uh materials that are in the in the area we don't really spray or use chemicals where we live for anything hmm. um but you know always having that go to something that you can turn that you know is broken down and become that that loamy sandy soil we've always been looking for uh, just an idea that I'm messing around with in the back of my head. Cause I mean, people use compost pits for, for gardening and all their other stuff. Why can't we let some stuff break down naturally outside so we can have a plan to go get it next year, you know, take some buckets full off your own land and, or your own yeah, property. It's, and it's keeping up with it. It becomes a chore. Yeah. So, yeah. Cause to keep to at the rate that you might be throwing stuff in there, it all depends on your rates. So if you're like, got a really good size thing and it's it's average heat and uh it, you know it's not blaring all that stuff like that and you're turning it regularly you know um i feel like the soil 
is fine because then it'll basically not um, it'll overdevelop all this moisture and wetness, right? And mm -hmm. so um, that's what happens if you overload it without churning it, and it doesn't get to you know rotate and breathe on its own to create the soil. There, there needs to be all the mess. There basically has to be like a space in between all the debris. So that way, actually, air and all that stuff like that can, for one, escape, but also um, help with the, the breakdown, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a ton of waste, bro, and it's not being turned enough, and at the same time, you know, retrieved and all that stuff like that, it'll it'll just be a nasty, wet, soggy mess. I'm not sure if you've seen that before, but oh it's, yeah, uh, it's when uh, a compost just, it, you know, there's just so much going in there without it being worked on you know so the 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 the, the compost myself comes up a whole workout <laughs> see well i have two kids i'm taking notes here kai on what they need to do so yeah, i'll get them a cement mixer and uh, put them to work <laughs> they gotta get like a pitchfork turn the soil yep. in there yeah turn that wake them up at first light like some some little farmers and uh get them out there <laughs> uh but uh so get back, getting back to it, Jeff, we covered, um, kind of said what you mentioned for what you like for soil or substrate. Um, you mentioned the reeded stack and, uh, what about heat and lighting and, um, um, the other aspects of the cage, humidity, uh, water availability. What do you, what do you like to do? Right. I, I get the humidity question a whole lot. And basically Nothing scientific. Here's my science for you. We call it the finger method. <laughs> yeah. You go and jam your finger down and in the dirt as far as you can go and pull it back out. Does the dirt cave in on itself? You need water. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, keep it simple. And your, your humidity, uh, Dave Kaufman did a, a video where they went to Australia and uh, he had presence of mind to take a couple of instruments with him. And he was testing uh, temperature and humidity down inside the uh, burrow that he found. Yeah. And the, uh, the humidity right there just inside the burrow. I mean, he didn't like jam his arm all the way down the hole or whatever, but it, it was reading almost uh, 99% or whatever right there. Yeah. Yeah. So this, the depth of substrate is important with the Ackies as far as your humidity goes. Yeah. What's out in the box itself is not nearly as important as what is underneath. Mm -hmm. 100%. And it's the, uh, the Swiss Army knife of keeping monitors is your depth of substrate. If they yeah. need a hide, they can dig a hide. If they need yeah. help. Uh, getting that old yucky shed off, they can dig down in there and get that moisture and get that assistance that they need. If they want to deposit some eggs, they're going to be able to do that too. I mean, it, it's so useful. So it's really, really important if you're going to have a monitor lizard, especially one that uh, likes to dig like Aki's do, you need to get the substrate correct. Yeah. And, uh, it's really kind of an art form as far as uh, trying to keep your humidity good. Um, a lot of times I'll go and uh, I use a pump sprayer like mm -hmm. you uh, like you would spray 
bugs with or whatever, you know. Um, of course, it's never, ever seen anything but water, no chemicals at all, and uh, bought for that purpose. So I use that to spray a couple times a week, and then uh, if necessary, I'll just straight up dump some water yeah. in the substrate right where the uh, basking site is. I guess so. It all good, will evaporate from fastest. It's a good section right here where... I think a lot of beginner Aki people have problems with uh, loss of tail tips and toes, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I would say that the topic right now would be um, ideal to keeping the integrity of your toe tips and tail tips um, intact and basically having your animal look sharp, right? Um, mm -hmm. I, I see it all the time where where someone's trying to resell some Mackies or something like that, or any, any dwarf monitor. And most of them have been missing toes or tail tips. And I mean, it just looks horrible, you know? And so, um, uh, for, for you guys that have your own, there's going to be some conflicting issues. Cause you would think, you know, Australia is like hot and dry cause it's a desert or something like that. And these animals, it's blistering hot. And what you're used to as hot, it could be really dry, but where these animals are from, and also the microhabitats that that Jeff mentioned, that you know, if you were to go deep down within the soil and in their burrows and such like that, that's where that extra humidity would be. Um, and then in our cages, they'd be it'd be relative, you know, where like the bulb would be like thirty around the bulb would be thirty to fifty percent of humidity, but uh, in other parts would be maybe sixty to seventy percent. And then deep down, it's nearly goddamn a hundred or something. Um, and if you're if you have those 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 temperature gradients, and then you apply that deep soil, um, for me, I, I've had to learn it myself. I just use nest bins, but uh, I've been adding deep soil to the whole enclosure because it actually the depth and and all that stuff like that with the added heat in the cage creates this. Uh, this density now the mix-up here can be where you lose your toes as well not just from being dry and you thinking that it's being the shedding issue right which is also that's one issue the other issue is mistaking wetness with humidity and that's where people can also end up with bumblefoot where they basically end up with a ton of blisters on their on their animal and these blisters yeah. can basically um, damage the, the foot because because the toes are are so thin and the tail tips are so thin on some of these animals that the blister itself can cause such a damage that the finger is going to be once it heals your the the finger is hanging on by a thread and so anything can basically break that off and it, it typically during the drying process you're going to lose that finger possibly and um, you know to help prevent you guys from doing this the right thing would be to add depth of soil but then to add you're also you're already you should already be adding levels to climb but what i do is i add top a top level of dryness so let's say whatever bucket that i have and it's just dry soil and i've done my full on mixing and i've done my my adding cups of water to certain corners turning that corner up mixing it up really well that's kind of damp pretty moist in in a sense right 
where that's the the humidity that's where the humidity is going to derive from but if you throw your acne on top of all that wetness it can might as well get bumblefoot from being too wet so i throw dry stuff on top of the wet stuff just so there's a buffer in between and they're actually not getting onto anything at all but the humidity is still present to be able to develop within the the moist soil that's deep down and mm -hmm. uh, this is going to help you guys out that are just starting out with losing toe tips and tail tips and you know that's how you figure out if you have enough water or not it's uh it's those two occurring things where it's too dry brittle your stuck sheds all that stuff like that and then it's too wet so there's a balance here and that's where you know to, to be totally candid too uh i i want to say i knew this i want to say i know this information but there was a uh, time i had a setup that i think at the time there was you know a lot of little babies from different clutches hatching out um but i had one uh, setup where i started seeing some issues with toes um for these three animals that were in there and that's not an issue I, I usually have. So I, I hit up Kai, you know, those emergency messages uh, that we kind of joke about. But I'm like, what am I doing? And uh, just kind of to recenter my thinking, he, he said just what he just said is um, some elevated places where they can get away from things, dry stuff out. And sure enough, I'm looking through all the baby cages and I have different elevations. I have this going on in all the different ones. I think i um, getting a little, you know, what would I say? Uh, complacent with these babies. I had set them up. I had thrown some different um, cork tubes in there and whatnot. And, but it wasn't set up in a way that they, they were always going right under the cork tubes. They weren't in the cork tubes themselves. They're going under the cork tubes into the dirt. And the way that I had this um, set up was that there was minimal ventilation. So it would keep good humidity, but these animals were always choosing to be in this wet spot in the way that I had thrown things in there. And so, uh, you know, those animals are still with me. They're not going to see the, the, uh, the light of day or the market. They're, uh, not things I would make available, but, um, they ended up uh, with yeah. blisters too, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it was minimal. We, we, I didn't get any blisters, but I did lose a couple toe tips. Um, and it was a slap in the face to a little bit of a wake up, like, Hey, make sure you're doing this on every setup, every cage. So you're not running into this problem. I felt, you know, completely stupid for it, but, uh, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's definitely something pay attention to those things. And I guess not to ramble on, but Jeff, something you mentioned with the, um, the bioactive enclosures, um, understand those can sometimes be dangerous too. If you're, if you're trying to keep um, house plants alive and this fancy jungle greenery alive in <laughs> an animal's cage that's you know adapted yeah, to live yeah adapted to live in the desert unless you're growing under underground plants that grow in the substrate somehow you're not really going to have that i don't even know if that's a thing i'm just trying to i guess make a point with that you know um, well some things that i've seen people get into and hey I, I was just actually digging through some of my stuff the other day and i found where i had purchased some of this crap and uh, thought better of it and left it in the box and that would be uh excavation soil <laughs> i got excavation a couple bags there. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it, it sounds great. You know, you look at it on the surface. Oh, okay. So you can get it moist and you can make a tunnel and little mountain thing, whatever. And it sounds great and wonderful and whatnot. But oh, what do you mean it reconstitutes if you get it wet? Well, well I'm going to have to spray these guys and make sure that they're moist. And, and if you do right. that, then it's reconstituted. And well, it is clay. And when it, gets dried out again it's gonna harden again and yeah so that that causes big problems with tail tips overall yeah. general shedding problems toes go bye byes uh, <laughs> all these things and additionally with the uh the big time naturalistic uh rig and everything when you first get your pet and you want it to be all great and wonderful and whatnot and you go throw a fistful of crickets in there and you see it eat two well yeah. you've got yeah. 400 hiding spots in there because you've made this fantastic enclosure and baby that you just got he's he just turned a month old last week and you just got him yeah. yay congrats um, well he's mistake. still learning to how to hunt and you thrown way too much food at him and he didn't eat it all and you go throw some more at him the next day and next thing you know well well I'll be damn these bugs. They like food. They're hungry. They got nothing to eat. Baby toes, baby tails. Yep. Each time. And, and you'll so have good. little tiny crickets. You'll, you'll be a cricket breeder. That's what will mm -hmm. happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then yep. they're up. Yep. So, I, I myself for the baby monitors, I just bowl feed. Even if you have to use a tall 24, 30 ounce deli cup. Right, yeah. they're they're agile enough to get in and out of the cup, and you you don't lose any of the bugs. They kind of stay there, you know. Um, yeah, they just, just bowl feed. Bug you bowls know, are fantastic. Uh, if you can use these bowls, I'm talking to a guy right now, actually. Um, but it's a it's a contraption where you just it will fit like your your like three and a half. What is it? Uh, four inch deli cup. And you set them inside of those, but it attaches to the side of an enclosure, so they will actually hold the bulls still. Um, you're, talking, you're talking to Edward? Yeah, yeah. So um, using that contraption, basically, so I can raise it up just, I mean, a quarter of an inch off the substrate. And uh, they can see something moving inside of there. They will be able to access it through um, some sticks or, or you know, some, some type of enclosure uh furniture in there um I just, them, I just want them for water cups he's supposed to be sending me some so yeah um, yeah I'm just, i just want to elevate them off of the ground because i have a lot of crock bowls sitting on the floor yeah same thing i want to do so water cups and and jeff i wanted to get this how do you do you <laughs> offer your animals standing water all the time absolutely absolutely all the time and how do you keep it clean sir <laughs> uh, well they uh they will generally run through it uh -huh. and uh they'll get it all nice and dirty and one one thing i've noticed I, I believe that if you've got one that's constantly filling your water bowl up with dirt they're saying hey, dude i need more water mm -hmm. you know yeah. They're, they want their substrate to be more moist, and they're filling up the water bowl with the, I mean, it could be an inverting, but I've seen it happen a fair amount, and 
they can't tell me what they mean, but I, I kind of it's an implied thing. Yeah. You know, you, we've seen it in snakes where they will actually go leave their like a clutch of eggs and go wrap or go sit in the water bowl and then come out and drag that moisture along with them back into the um, nest box or into the cage itself to kind of up the humidity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's absolutely possible uh, from your own observations. You know, it's it sounds like it's definitely a thing that could be going on. But I, I intend to use those same cup holders like Kai was saying for not only food so that I can dump some roaches in them without them tipping the bowl over, but uh, also for water in an effort that's, to try to keep the water. That's, that's the only that's the only thing for food. The monitors, they're mine. Just they just lift up the cup out of the thing. So yeah, I gotta find a way to wait. As if it was like a weighted cup or a, a clip on cup and that held it in place, that'd be cool. I think they. The cups just sit in there, though. Yeah. You know, it's funny on that note. There's, I have uh, some gargoyle setups. And uh, this pair of gargoyles, they uh, – geckos, those little cups, those little gecko cups that you put their little mix in. Yeah. Um, when they get tired of it, they actually flip it out onto the ground in the enclosure. So I don't – I haven't seen them do it yet, but there's been enough times now where I've had a cup flipped upside down on the bottom of the, uh, the cage that I'm like, all right, guys, throw in a little fit, want something new. And so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if animals did the uh, the uh, monitors did the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing that I, I'm gonna I tested out with the uh, Gil and I is uh, they've got an elevated bug bowl, and they have an elevated water bowl. Mm-hmm. And the new enclosure I'm I'm picking at uh, is those two pieces are one. It's like okay. a, it's like a dog dish, you know, with water on one side and food on the other side. It's just elevated and it looks like a rock. Yeah. But I'm thinking that that's going to work out really good. The adults that uh, I've got set up, the Gil and I, with the, the elevated bug bowl and the elevated water bowl, it works really good. They still go and run through the water. And, uh, of course, you'll get a bunch of crickets that want to find the water and go die in it and turn it all gross and everything. And just dump it out and pour some fresh water in it and it'd be fine. But You know, I I use something similar. I use the uh, the big, like, rock ledges that are the magnets that have that hole cut out for the um, a dish to go in their deli cup or something. I do <laughs> use those with the, um, the peacock and the Timor monitors because they're so shy. Um, sometimes they don't want to leave whatever log they're hidden in. So what I've done is I've basically attached those with the magnets, usually to the front glass. I've set up a, um, usually it's a vertical piece of like a cork tube that they're hiding down in. And so this is basically right at the top. So they can peek their little head out. They can grab some bugs and disappear. And it seems to work pretty well for me. I just haven't used it in the more, I guess, terrestrial species because they're kind of in, in, three foot um, of space up above the ground, you know, uh, not that that's that much, but it's just how they use it. So I, I know it can work. I just haven't tried it with stuff like uh, the Ackies. Yeah, it should be fine because it's all yeah. space relative. It's all three foot, three foot's three foot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. just, you know how it is mentally. I, I If I put the uh, cork tubes vertically instead of horizontally in my head, it's, 
arboreal now. <laughs> <laughs> three foot cage a three foot cage. Right. Uh, yeah. Oh man. Now hey Jeff, uh um with your your current diet, um hopefully this will be leading into the grasshopper stuff, but um mm-hmm. what are you using now as far as your base or your 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 main staple for your for the dwarf stuff? We go through nine nine thousand to ten thousand five hundred crickets every three weeks. Wow! And that's the general nine thousand. You said, yeah, yeah, nine to ten five every three weeks. Well, oh, every three time. weeks, every three weeks. Okay, every three okay. weeks. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get three quarter inch crickets because in Bandit, I get them from Gans through their mm-hmm. uh, Great Breeder program. If you're uh, if you can stand to uh, to take on at least five thousand in a minimum order, yes, that's sir, the, that's the best way to go. But I get the three quarter inch, so that gives them uh, a little bit of size, so they're acceptable immediately. But it also gives them a little bit of room to grow. And uh, make some little chirp, and yeah. they don't chirp. Even they don't chirp yet. That's so, right. You know, I, I've also found that the three quarter inch. They, they either label them as three quarter inch or like four weeks or something. Yeah, on the box that's, the, that I that's get. the same thing, right? Yeah. yeah. So, but the large, the one inch or large uh, six week crickets, I've also noticed, especially in the summer, they tend to die off a lot quicker. I will get a lot less in a shipment um, of bugs. Whereas the three fourths inch, it seems like they just do naturally better. I don't yeah. know exactly why that is, but the, the, the large two are also sometimes already expired adults. Like they, gotcha. they, they need a, you know, they're at the last yeah. leg of life anyways. All they got to do is lay and die. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now, now, Jeff, you're getting those crickets. Are you? Um, do you? Do you have any kind of rotation to get them feeding for you, like gut loaded, as far as what you're feeding the crickets? Yeah, um, actually, I, I grind up my own um, roach chow and I feed it to everybody. Okay. Nice. What's the consistency of the roach chow? Sorry. What was your consistency of roach chow? Uh, this is where I learned uh, the percentages of proteins and the proper usage for insects. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I won't give you everything, but there's four ingredients and the primary part of it, and you can totally get away with just this one by itself and be fine. And that would be uh, 18% non-medicated chick feed. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's the good stuff. Don't uh, want yeah. more protein than that because you'll have problems. But yeah, that's a that's a great basis, uh, you know, something inexpensive. And really, I should do uh, vegetables for their moisture, but I do use the uh, the uh, water crystal. Water crystals, yeah, I hate those things, yeah. but it's convenient and inexpensive comparatively. Yeah, so that it. is true. Yeah, the the, the whole. Um, any more protein or too much protein, what does it do to them, uh, Jeff? I forget. It will give them gout. So it it will give the lizards gout. 
through the feeders is what you mean, right? Yes, you're, uh, you're, you're, uh, yeah, they can only, they can only process so much protein. And that's why you don't want to go and give your Aki, it's an insect eating animal. It, they can have high protein, but they can't have high protein a lot. Mm-hmm. So I always tell everybody, if you're going to feed uh, high protein, we're talking, you know, uh, soft scrambled eggs, soft boiled eggs, chopped up with the shell and all. It's natural calcium. Don't throw it out. Um, you know, things like this, you know, your pinkies, uh, take a instead of a pinky mouse. How about getting a hopper mouse and take your butcher knife to it, chop it up while it's still frozen. You get more food value out of it. Yeah, better mm-hmm. bones. Yes, get your bones and all that. So, yeah, that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be a good thing to do when you're when you have little ones that are trying to grow, or if you have uh, producing females, you're trying to get her beefed up to produce or recover from laying her eggs. Uh, those would be a good thing to do, but I would say never more than one decent meal a week at the very most. And that would be for those two growing baby or producing female. You get into more than that, you wind up running the risk of uh, causing your, your pet to have gout and that's no fun for anybody. Now, when you say one decent meal, you're you're referring to those actual, uh, not bugs. You're the heavier to, stuff. Yeah, yeah, the rodents yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Your high protein meal should not be more than once a week at most. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be using like eggs or mice every day. No, yeah. no. And a lot of people they they think monitor and that's what they know of monitors, tegus, whatever, and they want to just load them up with high protein and think it's hunky dory, and it is not. It will kill your animal. They will die of gout or fatty liver disease or something else that's just not fun. Yeah, I think we had an episode where um, we were talking about alternative food sources for animals and stuff. And this this happened. This came up through 2020. Uh, there was a good portion of it where bugs were hard to get for a little bit. I don't know if you experienced that over there, but over here, bugs were hard to get. So we had to, you know, find some alternative sources for um, for food. And yeah, it, it resulted in using the like rodents or other meat products. But the way that we had to adjust feeding was cut down to smaller portions of those things or less feedings. And, um, you know, it, it was just to get by until we can start seeing those numbers get up again, as far as uh, crickets and roaches. I think there was a time where, you know, adult roaches out here almost reached $2 a pop. And yeah. uh, they were still hard to find. <laughs> per, per thousand per right now, some places sell per thousand superworms, uh, roughly 50 to a hundred bucks. I've seen it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So the last time I tried to get a thousand superworms, I think they were 80 bucks. And yeah. So I started doing my own. (laughs) How about 20? I would love that. That's the normal. That's the, I mean, even 30 is understandable because you get a lot, you get a a lot of worms for 30 bucks, but, but still it's like, once you get into any more than that, it's just, uh, you know, supply and demand, you know, people, yeah, 
people trying to get people got to grow or they got to ra- ramp up or feed more heat more most insects that's like the rate that people want grasshoppers man if i grew them slow like at because you know jeff you can you can grow things with the with the grasshoppers at a very low rate or you can run them at a high rate but you yeah. know once you once you get into the very high rate you have to be very consistent or else you end up overheating but underfeeding and then mm-hmm. you're basically going to burn them out or dehydrate them more so and so if you don't if you aren't keeping up with things like that and basically having the turnaround keep up with itself rather than you you know wanting to grow fast you heat them up but then you're not consistent with the food you basically are going to end up crashing and burning anyways you know mm-hmm. and so um same thing with those super worms if if someone's you know you want people are wanting more out of them and they have to figure out how to grow them a little bit faster without killing them or just at the you know the the highest point but not not there yet so that way you have a safe buffer zone of when the things are actually going to die you know and so like maybe you can keep super worms at a mid mid high 80s but anything higher than that with humidity is going to just kill those worms you know things so it's just a, just just for example you know just mm-hmm. if you if you were to do um if you were to do any of any of the worms keeping them at a at a slightly warmer rate even like even hornworms or hornworms themselves you keep those at a in a, in a warm area with that all that food that they got going on they'll grow so much faster if you were to just keep them room temperature in the kitchen somewhere you know it's just uh the the, the grasshoppers are the same way too so you know when you're doing your own um because a lot of people like alan was mentioning where they had to find something else crickets right now sure are still the the leading because people still need it for their little stuff you know people need it for babies it's still going to be a i i would say a household necessity for for reptile keeping right it's still mm-hmm. it's still a thing but the grasshoppers jeff you know and alan make sure that you guys are that's all it is is it's not hard at all because pe- people i've seen that don't have much experience with reptiles at all do it within two months and so um you know, anybody can do it it's just about the consistency you know if you can keep up with what they demand they because they are a locust essentially they do a whole the whole locust thing where they mob on a on a on a plant and they destroy it within minutes or hours or whatever right and so you have to take that in accommodation of this is what the animal is known for that's why it's prohibited you know that's why we had to go through so much just to get to this point and so um utilizing and and taking what we know as uh, already a characteristic of them I, I basically apply it to the food now uh, before i was only feeding once or twice a day you know but if you're consistent with all your stuff and you can manage it and you can feed them every few hours at the rate that i have you keep them at with heat and everything then they'll do fine you know um and they'll grow so fast i'm talking about adults in two and a half weeks in three yeah. weeks um it can be done i've i've seen it myself i do it myself me dean and cody and we all kind of share information these things can basically be adults within three weeks 
and breeding and everything like that within two, two and a half weeks. I mean, sorry, two, two and a half months. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty fast for a big bug that gets three to four inches, you know? Um, I got to just uh, keep mine in the cage. Is my problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the sleeve is uh, going to be very ideal. Man, the sleeve, that is a game changer. I got a good yeah. jumper to finish my other two. I've got the... Our, our Harper, Hopper Haven 3 model. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Now, now I, I've been, don't get me wrong. I know uh, I've been really busy. So that partly is why I haven't been answering you, but I wanted to save it for this conversation. So um, your enclosure, right? As we were discussing it initially, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it'll be fine. But for what capacity do you want to use it for? You may have to make five or six of those if you are going that route, you know? But let's say with the three, okay, that three will overcrowd within a few months. Now you're gonna be evicting them, and that's that's good, right? But it's gonna get to a point where your size and rotation and necessity and the time frame will all be overlapping each other if you're not keeping up with it enough. Mm-hmm. So when I was talking before about like heat and food, right? <clears throat> Everything is done within two weeks. How they hatch, um, how they are essentially growing, and the size that you're going to possibly be needing them—all that was in it's in relative time of roughly fourteen to twenty days, give or take. Okay, so that's a give give or take fifteen um, to twenty-one days max, roughly for eggs to hatch. So if you're you know already experiencing that, but you haven't been experiencing that like i would say you know tons and tons of time over you know where that's going to be basically overcrowding you so much that um those three cages right there essentially will be good but you'll possibly have to make more with how just how much you want you know um i think you have a lot to feed and to actually keep up with the numbers obviously you're going at my rate and the heat but uh, I'm not sure about your food. So, you know, I know you've been trying to grow like lettuce and stuff like that. I threw those ideas out the window because they weren't, obviously I had to go and spend so much more on lettuce. So it's like me waiting for those things to grow. I'd have to grow a hundred of those cups, you know? Um, and so really it, it kind right. of, it kind of was more so of wasting my time because I'd have to set these cups up, wait for them. So I was just, I just said, forget it. I'm just going to throw these away or, Throw them in the compost or throw them in the yard, let them decompose, and then, um, you know, utilize just fresh greens that I purchased, you know. So now I'm going through so many heads of lettuce every day, maybe 15 heads of lettuce a day, right, give or take, because I feed I feed so much. And I have, I have maybe a, a dozen cages, though. So I just don't have three. Obviously, I have to run a lot, and I have a lot of you guys to satisfy basically almost the whole United States that demands them. And I'm the main guy mostly. So, you know, it's like having to keep up with everybody and do it on, on time without being like, Hey, the lead time is three weeks. You'll have to wait. It's that's bullshit. You know, if I can really do it faster at, at a consistency, they need it at where I'm basically feeding them as soon as they run out, you know, Right. So if you're understanding this is now what to do, everything can be done and grown within two weeks. You basically have babies that will be 
already two inches by the time you're feeding them at this rate that I'm telling you about, right? And so by the time those are evicted, you'll have space for more, right? But within time, obviously not all of them are going to grow. And then the times that you pull the bins from the times that they're in there is actually a few days or 10, 15 days. And so you'll actually be having that that whole time of laps of babies hatching out. Not all of them are going to hatch out at the same time. So you'll have a bunch of different rates already at, at the at the start already, you know. But then you'll have a, a whole new batch within 10 to 15 days of one, the bins that you just pulled out. You, you, do you, you get what I mean? Oh, so yeah, the- yeah. Well, I, I made the, the design to specifically to fit uh, – it's not really a baker's rack, but baker's rack to us. Yeah. You know what I mean – it's the four foot wide, eighteen inch deep, six foot tall, five tier rack. Yeah. And uh, I've got this particular rack. I'm not in. I'm not even using all five racks or whatever. I just already had it set up over there. But I was thinking I'd take a. I was gonna fill. Probably before it's over with two racks, with these type enclosures. Yeah. And I was also. That's why I was like. That's why I was surprised when you said, you know, when I asked you if you'd go with the uh, two or three, you said three. I was like, seriously? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because I want you to have as many cages as possible. But oh, I know. Yeah, but at the same time, um, yeah, it's it's all about what you can fraction off the space to use it for. Um, that's that's the importance of having the three. But I'm not sure where you're going to have your adults, right? I don't recommend you having your adults in there. You could just have those for nymph cages or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, That's really um, what I was doing it for. Yeah. So, you know, now with the inside of your enclosure, you're going to have to maximize your surface area even more. Not just the walls, but, you know, you'll have to create the, the center grid, those kind of hammock type things. And then try to hang stuff that are, like, basically, it's a hanging wall in the center. It's, it, it's uh, you know, you, you've suspended it from the top. And that adds even more surface area for them to climb, places for you to hang food or whatever. So you're going to get to a point of, all right, basically, your, your colony can collapse if you have so many babies, right? You'll have so many adults and so many bigger ones, but when the babies hatch, there's so much competition that those don't do well. So basically your next generation is going to be very, very little. You'll you'll notice success rate go lower and lower and lower if you have them all crammed together. So when I have them done separately, you know, in the age, let's say you have your right cage. That's the one you've been doing. You know, it's the one that's been out. It's already about 10, 15 days old, 20 days old, whatever. Right. You'll hopefully have been pulling from that one and that one obviously will be empty the soonest and then within 10 days you should have that next one ready and then you'll have your flow of things you you see how this goes where it's just by the 10 15 day mark and then you'd have that right cage that we started with would have been emptied out with whatever you're doing now cleaning that is where I haven't gone with what you we've we've talked about as far as that PVC setup, right? Mm-hmm. It's because cleaning it after all the poop and all that stuff like that, mm-hmm. after a while, it's gonna get kicked on there. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, um, you want to be able to take it out and hose it. I mean, I hose mine and I just sun dry them, you know, and then I bring them mm-hmm. back in and I use them. Are um, you guys doing any kind of like substrate tray almost or like a catch tray underneath? You, you can, mm-hmm. but I just have it where I sweep mine out of the bottom of the cage or mm-hmm. I tilt the whole bin and all the poop goes to a corner and I just let all the grasshoppers hop out of there and I pull that out a couple of days later or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that that functionality part, Jeff, will have mm-hmm. to be really thought thoroughly if you're going to have uh, – so many grasshoppers okay because after a week if if you're butt loaded with a bunch of grasshoppers that's a lot of buildup you know um mm-hmm. and so having your bottoms your bottom front lift up if you could in your make in, in the in your in your now making it right mm-hmm. if you can have that lift up and you can sweep out of there or going in with the shot vac sounds cool but it's going to create so much mess that you, you know, the grasshoppers will be jumping from the vibration and the noise. You'll lose grasshoppers because you know you're obviously sucking it and it's out of your control. But you know, so you yeah. just want to sweep it into a corner where it can come out easy. And you know that the the obviously cleanliness and and you know staying adequately staying adequate with with how the bases and the flow of stuff you know is how we think thoroughly with all our cages because. Basically, you'd make this cage have cleaning issues later on and then have, like, let's say you end up with green mites because they drop the the the, the plate of, of wheat bran and then the lettuce was down there and there's a pile of lettuce. So the moisture from the lettuce and the, and the wheat bran created grain mites and the grain mites attached your grasshoppers and destroyed your whole colony. You know, mm. that, it can just add up that fast with with the weeks of waste. So, you know, you want to stay on top of that. I mean, I've had this happen to myself. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I can, I've had it happen to roach colonies. I've had it happen to my favorite green banana roach colony. Um, and it's just from being, it could be from being, being lazy, being complacent, or it could just food falling and you were just not taking care of it fast enough, you know? Um, so the, I don't know, the whole balance of all that should really make sense in being dry and clean at the bottom. Um, hmm. So you're, I don't know if you've designed the very front mock of your cage yet, um, but I, I haven't. Know. And I was, I was considering to not even have a door just to make the whole front panel one piece with the three ports in it and be done. And have a, so Okay, you have to slide the bins in and in and out. So, will your bins be able to not only fit your arm and elbow in there to get and retrieve stuff, but I'm sorry, not not your bins, but will your sleeve be big enough to fit your whole arm and everything into? But I'm not sure if your sleeve can fit a whole large nest bin in there. You know? Oh, so, it can. Okay. It can. Now, I slide mine in and out of the bottom. So that way I'm not disturbing anything at the top. But if you can make a little, I would say, four or five-inch small frame that's meshed and then essentially create a, a type of dowel or, the yeah, the basically a dowel hinge thing where you're lifting the bottom door up just like a Raptor Breeze cage. And then that'll be where you can easily sweep the bottom 
and then clean it out without having to disturb anything at the top. Um, you know, just to, to kind of put a idea on how you want to do the front of your cage. Because flowing for cleanliness, that's how I think about, I think about my enclosures. It's just, you know, if I, I had a, a, a bit of a time getting to the bottom, I, I wouldn't even mess with it, you know? Um, hmm. Okay. Yeah, so just some things to think about. And you, you should be able to hose it because it's aluminum mesh with uh, with your PVC, right? So right. you should be able to just easily hose it off, clean it off without much of an issue. Um, you know, and your, your setup would basically be able to be fully sanitized um, from it. I, I myself, that's how I, I work with, I'm trying to offer people clean bugs. You know, crickets end up with so much cargo flies. Roaches have a ton of nasty cargo flies. The grasshoppers don't. They don't smell. They don't have any of those issues, you know. Um, they can die within the cup, and there's no gnats in there that just all of a sudden appeared. And those are those things that are now your lizards ate a bunch of those, you know. And so um, it's just uh, I try to offer a really clean a clean product to people. And so I, I don't want to have anything that's – that's going to be making the grasshoppers nasty or anything like that, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, just, uh, just a, not just an idea. I just, all those things fester very fast, especially the grain mites. It's like a killer in any insect or any, any, uh, any uh, arachnid or whatever hobby, you know, those having grain mites in your, in your soil attacking the bug is uh, horrible. Man. Um, I can honestly say I, I've never seen the green mites before. Yeah, yeah really me too. Crazy. Now I'm waiting for them to show up. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, if you're uh, if you uh, take some look at some videos of them, man, it's like I've seen them in droves. You know, like basically the whole bottom. Like I, I'd feed like dog food and lettuce, and you know it fester at the bottom, and then all of a sudden these tons of white bugs appeared. And they move like in an ocean because they're it's like Weird. lice or, or bed bugs or something like that, you know. And mm. so, yeah, it's disgusting, yeah, it's wow. really, really bad. Um, but yeah, so to keep your colony from crashing, Jeff, within your setup, you know, as uh, you go, yeah, try to have it where you can easily clean the bottom out, yeah. Um, and I think your setup would be would be ace if it if it if that part where to be really functioning for you. Um, okay. Now, I'll, quick uh, question. Go ahead, Jeff. I'll think about uh, how to how to incorporate that. Just like a uh, just a rectangle of PVC with, uh, at the bottom of each of the three, and have it yeah. flip forward. Yep. Have it with the the. It's basically connected on a on a dowel. Maybe the the dowel hole is a tad bit bigger than the actual dowel piece, and then. You're able to just, uh, um, sh you know, easily flip it up, sweep in there quickly, e easily use your hand or, you know, whatever you need to do. Get stuff, slide bins in, in and out. It's a lot easier than using. Don't get, don't get me wrong. The sleeve does make things easier, but you won't be able to do everything out of it, you know. So, right. yeah, you still have to, let's say you got it when you're, when it's all hooked up. And you'll have to redo your 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 mesh insides. You're not just gonna bust the, the screen or or you can't get through 
everything into the the sleeve right um so you'll have to you know slide things into the bottom i mean maybe grab it through the sleeve and then hook it up all you know weird like with your arm inside um, i think for myself and the listeners kai out there that um I think a series of videos. <laughs> you're saying dowels and ports, and I'm over here shaking my head like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, this, grasshoppers is crazy, man. So, I mean, just for – we're just talking about ease of and functionality. We just – I mean, we don't – as seasoned keepers, we just don't make cages anymore, you know? We make cages that that have to flow for us. They, they do have to make sense in a way. I mean – Sure, looking great is all that, but if it's the functionality of the setup isn't nice, then um, shit goes in the dish. That's not even worth it, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a troublesome cage. And so, um, you know, the sleeve port is basically a, a little entry thing that we, we have that we can hook up to to the to the enclosure. And it basically saves us time and loss of grasshoppers. That's yeah. it. They're so, they jump so vigorously. And so this basically cuts out the lossage and the jumping. I mean, they still jump, but they can't jump out at you when you open it. Like if you were to open the enclosure, you know, yeah. and that whole bottom part, that bottom part is a game changer as well, just because you can do things um, without disturbing the grasshoppers and you can just uh, clean. Yeah. Being clean is very important for the, also for the listeners out there. <laughs> not disturbing the grasshoppers when you set one off and it goes jumping uh i i don't have nearly as many as kai i have like you know 25 grasshoppers that i'm trying to do something with um it used to be about 30 but uh (laughs) i would let one out do something stupid and um they're they're amazing little creatures they know what they're doing they know where they're going um that whole little side move, as if you ever have to open the front, and they do that little like shimmy, right? All of a sudden, they're on the outside of the cage. You're like, "How, how did you do that?" You know, you were just inside the cage. I'm watching you now. You're outside of the cage, and um, heaven forbid, you have a door open. They know exactly where the exit is. They know exactly where the sun is, and yeah. these these little bugs have jumped out of the cage and before they hit the ground. I was just telling Kai this. He does like this backspin barrel roll and takes off in mid jump as he's fallen, like flying away from me out into freedom. So I might be in another order here soon. (laughs) Yeah. Hang tight with them and, uh, you know, keep them fed. Well, you'll have more shortly. I hope so. It's uh, they're they're all big now. They're, they're like three or more inches now. Or I want to say that they're all big now. So, yeah anybody anybody can do it you know and everybody asks me all the time are they hard uh if you consider being very consistent with them hard work then yeah they're hard but if you're a reptile keeper like like kind of like us where i mean it's kind of like reptiles 24 7 you know um you should be able to tend to them with with added a couple minutes to your to your regular schedule you know Mm -hmm. I, i don't look at my stuff once a day, I might look at my stuff a hundred times a day, you know, or I check stuff and do things or have to do things. And then I just add it into my routine. It's not that hard to, you know, feed stuff, but some people like the roach factor or, or crickets or whatever, where you can kind of just feed them, whatever, feed them anything and get away with it. 
you know these a little bit more demanding in what they eat they demand quality for one for sure you can't just throw a piece of potato in there and expect them to just do well i not, love my roaches all, you know i love yeah my not, not like the <laughs> so um you know yeah. they're a little bit more demanding but anybody can do them though mm-hmm. you know yeah. we're, we're getting uh, about two hours and 15 minutes um so we'll wrap up in a little bit, but uh, Jeff, were you about to say something? Did I cut you off? Well, I was just saying that the uh, the generally bugs are easy enough. Anybody, I mean, if you can't if you can't breed roaches, <laughs> forget it. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, seriously though. So, I, mean, I, re- I recommend all future monitor keeper out there. If you want to keep monitors in the near future, get yourself a little starter colony, a breeder, you know, set yeah. of dubia and start. You know, um, first. Back, back, back yes, then they first. used to they used to say, you know, if 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 the feeders were harder than the pets, um, they didn't want to do it, you know. Right. Now, like like Jeff, like Jeff has, it's not just buying it from the next guy that created it. Um, he's creating his own blend of mm-hmm. roach chow or whatever. It's getting down to the core and the nitty gritty of stuff, and then you know what goes into your reptiles. That's like the uh, I don't know, like living at it in its best, or like really, really loving what you do. You know, um, being able to all right, let me figure out all right how how is this going to benefit my animals? It's not exactly cutting a corner. You're just getting down to like the really nitty gritty of stuff. You know. Um, and with the feeders nowadays in the feeder game, crickets and roaches are, it's not that they're necessarily out. It's just certain, some feeders, those, they're not going to satisfy, they're not going to satisfy parsoni or, or large monitor lizards that can't have a, a, a very fatty diet. So these larger insects is what they typically be eating in the wild. Cause there's just so much more abundant, you know, we, we've seen that in savannas, savannah monitor stomach content um tree monitor con- content yeah. you know things like that so um it's it's not it's evident that they're eating these larger bugs and it's not just um grasshoppers it's katydids and and big millipedes and scorpions and stuff like that as well so um and those things aren't really applied now right and so um they are entering the game more and more but mm, i don't know it's there's there's limitations, regulations, pro prohib. There's prohib. Um, there's some of things that are sort of prohibited on you doing, like like giant African land snails or or grasshoppers at the time. You know, um, locusts, desert locusts are definitely prohibited. Things like that. Um, where they'd actually in other countries they use them much more prolifically, and they have better success sometimes. And we're kind mm-hmm. of just stuck with some of these other features, you know. And uh, doing them now, getting into feeders, it's, it's it's definitely it'll it'll give you a great great insight on what's going into your animals. All right, real quick, Jeff, so we don't disappoint the uh, listeners that tuned in for an Aki episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I guess a little more rapid fire. What what's your ideal enclosure size for Aki's? If you could set up everybody in something, what would be the ideal for you? Well, I put it in my, uh, I wrote a care sheet and, uh, 
it, it gets into a lot of that, but uh, generally industry standard seems to be uh, four feet by two feet by two feet. That's four feet long, two feet deep, two feet high. However, uh, if you really want to keep these guys like they need to be kept, that cannot be the adult enclosure unless you have an adult male that doesn't really care to dig a whole lot. Or if you have uh, employed an egg laying bin, mm -hmm. both of those scenarios that'll fly. Uh, but I would suggest more like four feet long, two feet deep, three feet high. The three feet high giving you at least a foot or more uh, substrate dam so that you can actually offer full floor substrate throughout. That way, when time comes, they can lay where they want to and they can also lay their, uh, you know, they can make their burrows. Yeah. And they'll make a whole tunnel system under there. Finding them can be an adventure sometimes if you <laughs> dig for it. Yes, it can. And they get so weirded out, too, when you dig them up. <laughs> yeah. Some get pissed off. Some look like you just woke them up. And uh, some, they're already digging away from you as soon as they feel the, uh, the hand in the dirt. It's kind of interesting. And uh, some of them will react like I would first thing in the morning. Yep. <laughs> Not nice. Uh, what do you use as far as supplementation when you're feeding insects? Uh, honestly, I use uh, calcium carbonate, straight mm -hmm. calcium carbonate, no D3, none of that crap. The D3 stuff, it's, it's crapshoot. Nobody's yeah. measured it out to know exactly how much are you supposed to give and, you know, to what species and la, 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 la. But the, uh, the calcium carbonate, that gives them their calcium that they need. And if you're using UV, which I would recommend, um, then they'll be able to process things as they need to. So you won't have to worry about the whole D3 aspect of it. Um. Otherwise, if you want to give them uh, vitamins and whatnot, I've been used. Oh, what did we lose you, Jeff? We lost them. We might have lost Jeff. Oh, no. Right at the two hour and 23 mark. We were getting <laughs> into the, uh, the special blend there and. Uh, um, Got us, left us on a cliffhanger, Jeff. No, that's all right. We'll have, uh, we'll have Jeff on for uh, a part two. Yep. So, yeah, there's uh, there's a bit more. Jeff's got a whole lot going on himself. Um, he's a busy man, just like the rest of us with a uh, 100 animals or so, you know, just a ton going on. And so um, we'd be able to continue this without a problem. So yeah. everybody, everybody should be able to stay tuned in for GIS Herps. Um, that's uh, Jeff Easter over there in uh, Alabama, I believe, right? Birmingham, Alabama. Um, and, uh, yeah, you'd be able to catch a episode episode two for this gentleman. Yeah, and um, just just for Jeff, um, on you can find him at G-I-S Herps. Uh, that's 
G-I-S-H-E-R-P-S on Instagram <laughs> and on Facebook, okay? Jeff also runs or is a moderator for the Aki Monitor fans page on Facebook, okay? So if you want to find him, you can find him there. Check him out. Um, I, I guess I'll go a little bit further for him and say that that page is not for sales. It's not to um, not solicit sales. Of not even asking. Bugs, right. Yeah. Bugs, cages, anything for sale, okay? Um, we all, well, I can't say we all, but I think, you know, there's quite a few of us that use that page. We like to see the content and the posts on there and everything. Um, but outside of the moderator's hands, that page and many other reptile pages will be shut down outside of their hands. They can't even do anything to bring it back if you are trying to sell things, solicit sales, buying things, those type of things. Okay. Um, Facebook has some very strict rules about that. So, don't get that page kicked off. There's a lot of good information on there. There's a lot of past posts you can look through. Um, it's important to keep that stuff around, okay? Yeah. So, uh, Kai, where can people find you? Um, you guys can find me all over. Um, on Facebook, I am uh, just Kai Fan. That's where you'll find me the most, and I'm most responsive on there. Um, you can find me on Instagram as well, where I've uh, been frequenting at quite a bit lately. And so that's... Um, Big B I G underscore lizard one, the letter O, the number three, so 103 at yahoo.com. Um, and then you'll be able to find me on YouTube. Um, I have uh, some videos that I have up there under Mangrove Mecca. That's a uh, Mangrove and then Mecca M E C C A. Um, and then, yeah, that's basically it. I'm most responsive on Facebook. So you'll be able to message me on KaiFan. Um, you should be able to f find me just about anywhere. All right, guys. Um, again, you can find me at Origins with an S, Reptile, on Instagram, and Origins underscore Reptile on Facebook. And you can always tune in. Uh, we should be putting putting episodes out weekly, too. So we hope you enjoy. Again, any questions you might have, you can hit up me or Kai. Send them on over. We'll try to get to them. Uh, sometimes with Facebook, some some of these questions come in in a weird way or format that I don't catch all the time. It's like I, I'm familiar with Messenger and I'm familiar with Messenger on um, Instagram. But sometimes some stuff gets like attached to my page in a weird way where it doesn't come through Messenger. I don't know what that's about. But if I don't get back to you, just, just keep trying or try a different format. Um, I'm probably just not seeing it. All right. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and we look forward to uh, doing it again next week. All right. Oh, wait. <laughs> Getting ahead of myself with Jeff dropping off. You can always check out the Morelia Python Network.com <laughs> uh, webpage, okay? There's a lot of good information, a lot of good podcasts. Um, we're part of the network, so we're very fortunate to be a part of that network. But if you have any other reptile interests, see the other uh, shows that are on there from uh, carpet pythons to colubrids to um, herping, herping, herping. Um, and just general discussion of what's going on in the reptile world. There's a lot Australian of Australian stuff, carpet stuff. Yeah, yeah. Quite, a, quite a bit of stuff just about for everybody. Almost, almost. A lot of good mm -hmm. hosts. Um, we're talking, you know, published authors and uh, people that have great been doing content. this for a while. Yeah. yeah great so check content. it out. All right, guys. Thank you.